Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. Um, we'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Gavin Carr from Cardoon Genetics. Gav will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro high-energy food for, can- <laughs> for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey, Gav, how are you going? Yeah, good, guys. That's the way. How's your day been? Awesome. That's the way. What did you get up to today, buddy? Bit of concreting. Concreting? <laughs> what were you concreting? Some posts in, mate. Awesome. Yeah. It's a tough one. Lighting a few fires and that. So, yeah, an interesting week. <laughs> you guys getting much rain up there? Uh, not for the last few weeks, but it has been a wet, wet winter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and any more forecasted? Oh, possibly. I don't, I don't look too close. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps that... you happier sometimes when it's raining like it is down here. Yeah. Uh, very cool, mate. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, where you've come from? Uh, yeah, Gavin Carr from Mandubra. So we've, um, yeah, cartoon working dogs and we, I work at, for James and Alex O'Neill at Doon Doon. So I've been based there um, maybe the last 13 or 15 years, possibly working for them guys. And um, I've been with them guys sort of off and on doing the branding since year 10 back in 98. So they're, yeah, well. they're really, yeah. So they're very close to, close to me, yeah. And um, so that's, that's where I've been for a long time. And between sort of um there like i'll go and do odd jobs and stuff and and um you know little challenges here and there wiener breaking and stuff like that probably in the last 12 months with kids and that i've definitely slowed back this year i've sort of yeah pulled the pin on a few little jobs and that just can't do everything so yeah. a little bit more demanding maybe like a doom doom just yeah can't keep up but um it definitely Definitely challenge, challenging the dogs and stuff by stepping outside, you know, my comfort zone at Doon Doon and going and doing those outside jobs to to see, you know, where where we sit and what's going on and, and how we can improve and stuff like that. So, and then before, before Doon Doon, I guess, just been in the west and north and, yeah, I haven't worked in New South Wales yet. I never got across the border, so... <laughs> Not a bad thing. Hey. Not a bad thing. <laughs> Depends where. I did get New South Wales. I crossed through to Melbourne. I worked in Melbourne for six months. That was pretty cool. What so were you doing down there? Oh, just, I was actually working on Charlotte's Web the movie. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. What What's you, there? Yeah. Tell well, us a bit about that. Well, I was just, yeah, it was a six day a week sort of job and got a phone call and went down as an animal attendant and then sort of helped the trainers and that on set. And I was down there for, yeah, six months. So wow. it was pretty good, yeah. I'm glad I asked why now. <laughs> I ended up getting out of it, so they, they flew her up. Yeah, that's what her name was. she done the, she done the um, bit where the pigs danced in the rain, so yeah, she's no longer around now, so... That was some time ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's real cool. Where'd you grow up, mate? 
in Mandabra. Yep. Yeah, okay, so been there a long time. Yep. Like nearly a local. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually grew up in town. So yeah, we grew up in town. I was I've got a twin brother, Sean. Yeah. Yep. And um three sisters and that. And yeah, we grew up in town in Flinders Street, believe it or not. So and we had nothing to do with cattle or anything really. And then we got a couple of potty calves and yep. they're in the backyard. And yeah, Soxie and Curly. That was Sean. Sean had the Parisian and I had the Murray Gray Cross. And that's um that's where it all started. And then yeah, we went through, you know, skipping house to house with mum and and then James and Alex got hold of us in '98 to push carbs up. We we actually never knew them at the time. And the butcher, Timmy Duggan, he put us, yeah, James on to us to push carbs up the brand, and he took us under our, under his wing and and Alex and and sort of probably been mentors and you know, yeah. And then we got sort of started in the dogs and and stuff and went forward and probably never had much purpose you know, where we're going or me in general, where I was going and stuff, you, you know, you got ideas and stuff and, and that sort of, that was where we got started and went to Longridge Pastoral College and that, that was awesome. So done two years there and then went back and done a six month horse breaking course with John Arnold. So that was, that was really good spending time with John and it's probably a shame that they sort of close those ag colleges down now. Mm. Um, I think it's sad. Yeah, so for what for what that gave us was amazing. Um, since I never come out of school with a trade, I didn't do really well at school at all, and I didn't come out with a trade or anything like that. So to be able to go and you know go to Longridge and and step into something you enjoy, you know that's probably when life really started to begin and you know growing as a person and learning really started probably around then so yeah no good times yeah mm. and yeah. met a lot of really good friends and that out of college of really close like i've got a good mate steely steely canal he's um yeah he's still one of my best mates today and we talk probably weekly yeah he, i got him in the dogs too so i gave him a dog for his wedding wedding present <laughs> <laughs> best dog he ever owned and, um, <laughs> He'll probably tell you that. And then, um, yeah, so that it's been good like that, the connections and stuff through college. I was at a bull sale the other day and, um, you know, just looked around the arena and there's two people I went to college with there. So, you know, that's, yeah, you you build a lot of connections and stuff and move forward, eh? Mm. And so how did or where did you get your first dog from? If you're coming um, from, the, from in town... Sort of how'd you get well, we, 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 we had a few two hours growing up in town. Had a dog called Woodrow. He yeah. was like a reachback sort of dog. Had a staffy called Levi. <laughs> yeah. So the love for dogs is always there. Had a dog called Possum. And um, but yeah, the working dog side of things would have Sean Sean probably I think Sean went and got one. Yeah, Sean went and bought two dogs, one for me. And one for himself. So he bought Nikki and I got Sarah off Clinton Hall. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really good friends with Clinton, you know, to this day. Long, that was a long time ago. And um, we were at Malungra and we, I broke my ankle and had to finish up, come home. And then, yeah, Sean rang up Clinton 
and we got two dogs sent down and and um and then we went to Edward Dent and I got a bitch off Edward Dent called Sky and she was an amazing dog. She never bred on real well though. Um yeah. got one out of her that was not too bad, but yeah, it just wasn't real consistent breeding wise, but one of the best dogs I ever had. And yeah, so that's probably where, you know, a few trolls and that started the come through with Edwee, the connection with Edwee Dent, because his daughter's married to Warren Bate and, and um, he's a really close friend of mine and he's, you know, I regard him as one, one of the best dogmen around, stockmen sort of thing and a quiet achiever, just a gentleman really. And, yeah, and just started tracking him around a bit and, yeah, done a few trials and sort of really enjoyed it. So yeah. that's, yeah, so Sarah Sarah would probably be the first one and, I wouldn't say she was great. She just filled the gap. Yeah. yeah. She was she was all right. I taught her a few tricks when I come back from Melbourne. She was like a bit of a trick dog and yeah. stuff like that. So I had probably more fun teaching her tricks, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And did you guys know Clinton before that? Clinton Hall? Mm. No, I wouldn't say so. I'm just not sure how we come about. Yeah. We ended up working for Clinton after that went contracting up at um so we went from from college went to Malunga under Wally McDonald and in the in the station camp and Wally Wally was he planted the seed really yeah he was the one he had a um a lot of crowsale red dogs and that's where it probably started because Wally would take the time out for us with um he had a little training model Brahmin bulls and we put them on the airstrip and he'd, he'd write down the commands on our hands and stuff like that and then get Astro out and we thought we are telling the dog what to do and really the dog was really balancing and bringing the cattle to us but Wally, Wally was, you know, now I look back, Wally was just a smart man and he was just planting the seed and encouraging us and stuff like that and then sort of went out to, um, yeah, I remember going out to the farm camp with Ronnie Wall and I seen Ron put a wiener in in the yards there at the farm and and I was just amazed this Kelpie dog and you know he just said ran over whatever and put it in and it was just one straggler out on the side and I just remember sitting there going it's pretty cool that's amazing and then you know then while we were out there actually we had a few strays sort of pick up after we mustered Pyeball and we you know Ron had a couple of rougher sort of dogs Bullfrog and that and yeah I remember we jumped in the ute and Dogs were out first, that, that was on the first one, and then Sean and I, I think, got the second one, and then the Ron kept going with the goop to get the next one, so we got three in one hit. And, um, yeah, so that was a bit of a taste with those tougher sort of dogs as well. And um, and then, but yeah, I'm still to this day with Wally, he sort of really imprinted with what I wanted to do and where I want to go, and I talked to Wally a lot today still, very close friends and stuff, and... Wally was an amazing person. He's probably one guy that I'd recommend to go on to talk to you guys. Um, he was an amazing person with horses, dogs, and people. He was he could do the the whole lot. So, and he taught. Yeah, now I look back at what Wally showed us and stuff, and the patience he had. It was it was pretty good. So he used to refer us as cowboys, I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, then I broke my ankle being a cowboy. And um, 
ended up with Clinton Hall. And Clinton had a, a lot of dogs going back to the lift case, bred dogs. And, and so we got to know Clinton quite well and up at Strathmore. And then from there, we sort of, I'm not sure we might have ended up coming home and got another injury and a bit of time getting better. And then we went back to the, to the West with um, Neville Dow. So over at Sophie, yeah. And that was, that was different again. So Sophie was probably stepping back in time and Neville, Neville looked at things differently. And we'd, we'd still have a pack horse. We'd hobble horses out. We'd use coaches and we'd still take dogs. So we'd sit, we'd sit, they'd bring cattle into us and we'd set up a mob of cattle like a sponge and they'd bring bulls and stuff into us and we'd hide behind the shrubs and let the dogs have them. And then, yeah, then we'd sort of break them in and walk them home, usually on a full moon. We'd usually go on a full moon. So Why is that? Because it was so far to walk. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the, just like the time, we'd have to wait for the moon to come up, just the distances and the time you pick them up and it's a lot cooler and we'd be yarding bulls and that up at night and yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, was wow. And then we didn't have, we, we never had any hanging dogs whatsoever in that crew. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was what um, inspired me with Nev, like he's a quirky sort of character and he's probably listening, but He'll even agree with that, but um, he he was before his time as far as like in that west, like you know those dogs were sitting out positioning and holding, yeah, and the way he tailed his wieners and stuff. And I don't believe he was sort of educated too much with it, but you know he was amazing bushman, you know old school tracking and stuff like that. And um, like even the first day we turned up. We went out and he said, Rightio, he more or less said to Sean, nice straight up. If you can't throw the bull, I'll throw it. If you can't ride the horse, I'll ride it. Straight up. And yeah. then he said, Right, I want to show you how to throw a bull. So we saddled up and we went up in the gorge and sure enough, yeah, hopped off and threw one of the biggest bulls I've seen with Darren. And I could yeah, and that was that was our job. We used to get paid ten bucks a cow, twenty dollars a a bull and fifty bucks a horse we broke in and some of them were a few brumbies that we run in and stuff like that and usually break them in before we went out on camp and yeah. then we'd head out on camp and, yeah, hobbles and hobble them out, put a few bells on at night and mm. off we go. And the, the dogs just get sore feet, but, like, it was hard for dogs in the spin effect so they wouldn't keep up, you know, day three and four. They'd be sort of coming in at night on their own and you'd have to take them home or something, but, yeah. So, but, yeah, they were very good stockmen and Daryl's, one of the best stockmen I've seen, yeah, old school, yeah. You've mentioned a few different stockmen there. When, when was there a point in your life where you just a newfound respect for the patience they showed you? Was there a moment where you just went, oh, geez, like? Well, I sort of look back at them guys now and probably appreciate them guys more now. Like, um, I remember even being at college with John Arnold and he'd tell us certain things and I'm like, I don't understand that. And then five years later, you'd be doing something and then it clicks and you're like, <laughs> I understand that now. And there's stuff that those guys, 
you know, they've shown me, but I've never had an understanding of why. And um, yeah, now I can appreciate a lot more of what I've seen and stuff, and and it you know slows down and probably slow it down in your mind and process it, and yeah. So, but it's a big thing. I, I'm a big believer on having mentors and you know stuff like that, and and that's in everyday life. Mentors in whatever business, um, dogs, like whatever it might be. Um, if you base yourself around five, you know, honest people, usually you'll come a reflection of those five people in time. And and I don't, I think you know we are our biggest investment. So yeah, it's definitely you know the only person I'm competing against is who I was yesterday, and um to go forward so yep. I, yeah and those guys are you know i've got mentors and mentors change in time but you know where you are in life and and i'm definitely definitely big believer in sort of watching people and even if it's not even in the dog industry like um you know how people run businesses in town i've, I've approached businesses that don't even not even related to cattle because I know he's a good operator and I'll sit down and talk to him and find out what makes him tick. So it's interesting that, um, yeah. Sounds like a bit of NLP, mate. The, uh, what is it, neuralistic? Well, oh, I can't say, it's too big of words for me, but um, linguist, neurological linguistic programming, similar to what you're saying, right? Surround yourself around people Look at different ideas, programs, and just program ourselves. Power of the mind. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How do you apply any of that to your stock work? Oh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we're working mind. You know, your livestock, they're a mind on their own. So, with mindsets and your dogs and stuff, you got mental pressure and physical pressure. Once you escape the mental pressure, you're into a physical barrier. So if you're working a dog in a, you know, a round yard, as most people would call a training pen, I would probably, you know, refer it as a starting pen. Um, if they're tail turning or trying to jump out of the round yard, they're obviously, they're obviously escape that mental pressure into the physical, and that's something that physical zone you want to try and eliminate, I believe, and keep them in the mental side because. Once you go into that physical, it'll speed up next time you go in and they tail turn or whatever it might be or jump out of the round yard, it'll happen quicker and quicker and your mental starts to shrink and your physical gets quicker and quicker, if that makes sense. It's like working people. Um, if I've got employees and I keep snapping at them, you know, they'll just flick the bird and off they go. Mm. So, and then you've got no employees. You can't do that. You can't run a business without employees and your dogs are the same. So I guess with the mindset, it's – does that make sense, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's a big thing working livestock, you know, keeping them in, in that a good mind frame and your dogs and horses and people and staff. It's a, it's a massive thing. And then when it comes down to the right mind frame, to me, it comes down to kilos on cattle. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I believe we need to do a self-audit on ourselves and, you know, are we doing our job 
ask ourselves, are we doing our job or can we do it better? How, you know, can we do our job better with livestock? And, and what I'm saying with that is, um, you know, working dogs and stuff with, if, if I'm selling cattle, I, I want to know what's happening at the other end. Yeah. So if, uh, how many people go and actually, you know, go and see what's going on at the other end when they sell cattle? Where are they in their mind frame? Are they going to people that don't know how, they don't have dogs and stuff like that? So I've got to prepare my cattle to be able to be worked without dogs. So the next person can work them with dogs, out dogs, horse, bike, whatever it is. I'm not, the dogs are a tool to me. And I, you know, I love dogs and stuff like that, but my business is first. And, and I had a phone call the other day. So I was 74 steers to a person I never even knew went five hours away. And they rung up and said they're the best presenting cattle they've, they've had for a long time. And when, when I look at that, that's a, that, um, when things tighten up again in the beef industry, I want to make sure that I'm in first in line for someone to yeah. buy my cattle. I might be selling 20 or 30,000 kilo out of a truckload. Well, if they pay me another 10 or 15 cents, mm. well, that, you know, that's another bundle of cattle right. So it's, does that make sense, Mike? Yeah, it'd be, I was just thinking about the investment. Like it's, it's a, an investment in like in yourself, in your business, but especially into your client base as well, right? Oh, well, yeah, it doesn't. Just because we work dogs, it, it's the end product. You know, yeah. we've got to know what's happening at the other end. And you get, you know, I've been trading a few cattle and when they turn up, it's amazing what headspace they're in. And that, that headspace... Mm -hmm. You know, can I get them out of the yard tomorrow or is it a whole week on hay, you know, um, putting kilos on, you know, how quick are they going to gain kilos and stress and are your dogs holding them together with a nervous energy? You know, are you making the cattle doing, or doing stuff or are you allowing them to do it? Are you bossing them um, like the dogs? Are they bossing your cattle with any, you can see nervous energy as soon as you take the dogs away, I, I know one crew won't get dogs in because because they couldn't get them. They never done anything on foot with them. They didn't work them without dogs, and that's yeah. what I that's what I learned with going contract mustering. I get asked to go and do a job, but I've got I can't leave my tools there for them to go and get the cattle in, and that's my dogs. So I've got to be able to. If they had the right tools, they wouldn't ring me. So I've got to mm -hmm. leave cattle in a good headspace. So that you know that they can get them in and try and better myself. So I spend a lot of time thinking about stuff and investing time into my own self to be able to pass that through to clients and make sure that you're getting the right article out there. Um, but that's a big thing, you know. Reckon, I recommend everyone should go and work for other people, and and then come home, you know and. You know, you can get lazy at home working dogs. You, you know, pe dogs can make people lazy, I do believe, and sit there and put the commands and stuff. The best thing you can do is go and throw some dingo baits out out the back of the forestry. And then you'll work out if you've got your cattle in a good headspace because we put baits out, we've got it. And, um, you know, at times, and you go and muster them and see if you can get them in. You should be able right. to get them without your dogs. 
if you if you're breaking them in yourself with wieners. So the to me the to me the the dogs, you know, they save save us employing people and labour and stuff. They're the positives, you know. And and um, if you mis mistreat the cattle with dogs, you know, that are sort of bossing them and really hard on them. You know, there's a there's a cost on that too, but it's an unseen cost. A lot of people don't see it because they don't. Um, it's not coming out of their bank account. But if you went and wrote wrote an invoice out and worked out that you could have more kilos on because your cattle were in a better frame of mind, yeah. invoice yourself that. Then you'd probably make a change. Sometimes you need. I believe you need another set of eyes over your business and over your livestock and over your dogs. Yeah. Just fresh eyes from just to because we get so passionate about dogs and we get you know so glued up in our little bubble. And I challenged myself there two years ago, and I went and done a couple of dog schools because I found a little bit something was missing. And and they were terrific dog schools, but there's still something missing. I probably sat down watching people, and the biggest thing I probably got was. People trying to work a dog but not understanding their livestock. So I probably would recommend people go and do a low-stress stock handling skill, see Chalk, Tom, Tom Shepherd, Neil McDonald, Tom English, I think it is. Um, go and spend the time and invest time into learning livestock before you actually add the dog into the equation if you haven't started out before. And even if you have got dogs, just put the dogs to the side and that's what I done. I went, you know, I got told don't use dogs for ten days, Gav. So I was like, right. And it and it was a it was a game changer. What did you really learn from that? Um, that I can overuse dogs too much. The cat, cattle need a break from it sometimes. Um, yeah, just just yeah, just probably sitting back and working out where where my livestock sit in, you know, mind space, I guess, and you know, everything's so quick these days. And, and um, yeah, just making sure they're right before I want to move them off. You know, yeah, movement before direction. Like it doesn't mean that I have to go straight to the yards. It might might be that I've just got to sit for a while and, and then poke them off. And then, you know, and how you pick them up is probably how they'll, you know, how your cattle be in the in the yards, how they present themselves in the yard to you. So if you're chasing them around pretty pretty hard and that they'll probably be a bit cranky or you know the cattle the cattle don't like the livestock. They'll tell you exactly what your dogs are doing and what you're doing as mm. a stock. Your cattle will tell you. As a result of all that, did you ever sit back and look then have a look at it from the dog's perspective? And reevaluate yeah. something? Oh how do I like say that again after you like you spent those 10 days and you you thought about doing things differently and had a look at like flows and everything you just mentioned then did you look that back and go all right so how try and look at it through a dog's eyes a bit and have you found like a bit more respect for for your dogs yeah i have especially the way they'll they'll teaching us with livestock it's not much different so how you can present yourself to a pup in a, you know, in a starting program when you, all that sort of stuff. And um, I do think it's all related, yeah, definitely. 
Man, I, I've been fortunate enough to be speaking with you for a little while now, and you're pretty deep thinker for anyone that out there hasn't gathered that. Um, when do you get time to sleep? <laughs> Not much, but yeah. Like this stuff will be going through your head all the time, right? You'd always, I, I'm, I'm assuming I that you're like always looking to, in the corporate world, they call it eliminate waste, right? Way to improve things, do things better. Yeah. Um, I do know my wife finds me very challenging at times, you know, and, and my daughter's very similar to me. And <laughs> the way we went and done a job up north, breaking, I think, 1500 wieners or something in, and Isaac Hotz and I went up, and it was an awesome job. And I come home, and <laughs> I know me, well, when I got home, you know, Aaron's there, and Sholo's doing something, and I'm doing something, and then. Yeah, Aaron's like, Gavin, Shiloh, I can't handle both of you at the same time. But <laughs> it's just the first day, she was ready for me to go. Right? <laughs> and take Shiloh with her. So, but yeah, that was a good job actually, going up with Isaac. I'll tell you about that one. Um, we, we, got, we went up to break in the wieners, but we ended up mustering anyway. So the yep. wieners, yeah, so that was, that was good. And Isaac's a champion. He's a really good mate of mine. And, then they're like, oh, can you have the wieners out by Wednesday? And it was, we only had a couple of days. I was her all and, and um, Isaac pulled out all the lights and we broke wieners in right through, I don't know what time it was, like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, I don't know. It was it was late. We'd done two nights, a couple of days, smashed it and walked them all out. And yeah, Isaac had all the lights and everything. And I, I'm flat out turned up, turned up with a lash torch. So. <laughs> Had, um, did you notice a difference once the sun went down in handling stock? Was it, did you just have to adapt at all? Oh, I, I do think there is a difference. Yeah, I, I think cattle. Like it's amazing how you can what you can do at night. Yeah, on a moon and stuff. Yeah, like like with bulls and yeah, I think you can do a lot. Um, one thing with working at night time, and my brother, he actually said about it one time is, you know, like a lot of people are very controlling on dogs more than others. And he made a good quote one time, everyone should go and put cattle off the road in the, in the dark. And why he referred to that is because when you can't see stuff, you need to learn to trust your dog. Yeah. You need to learn to trust your dog. And the only, there's people that, that are so controlled and they can't let things go like they're just you know dog curbs sort of thing they're all always just glued on the dog and but when you can't see them, you've got to trust that dog and and that's the biggest thing i find is handing the trust over to a dog and allow them to trust you know do we allow them to trust or do we always hold on to that and um and that's one thing with nighttime you know positioning yourself and trusting your dog that they're doing the right thing so I don't do a lot at night. <laughs> how about how about working dogs at night? Do you see a change or feel a change in them? I don't do I don't do a lot, like training wise and stuff. I don't train at night. So. Oh no, no, just just when you when you were work like breaking of night, like oh, you, you notice a change changing your dogs. It's a lot cooler. It was a lot yeah. cooler than that. And, um, kept a steady head. Yeah, I reckon. I definitely. I think. There's, you know, they're a lot calmer and stuff. They can be. Um, the thing with 
like probably um working fresh weaners and stuff the why dogs have such a big effect on weaners is because they're so small so if you've got a model 60 60 head right not all 60 head are going to see that dog at once so as a person when we stand up in a yard and you get a mob of wieners that just go and hit the end of the rails we present ourselves across the whole mob you know 90 percent of those cattle are probably seeing us as humans that's why dogs have such a great effect on breaking wieners in to humans you know we we can uh, make things happen a lot quicker and move off us because the whole mob can see more of us and so with the nighttime side of things, maybe, you know, they're a bit calmer because um, I'm not as threatening possibly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Just want to look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, no, I just love how deep you get into things. <laughs> what, what do you, like, yes, your dogs are a tool to you, but... What do you love about the dogs? Like, what is it that makes you keep using them? Because, yes, they're a tool, but you got to have some, like, I don't know how I'm wording this right, but it's like you've got a lot of respect for your dogs. What is it that gives you gives them that for you? Um, oh, they're just joyful to have around. And, and um to start a little pup and take them through and see them process and, you know, it's rewarding. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, just seeing the growth and, and then being able to take them out and introduce them to stock and then go and do a job, especially a challenging job. It's definitely, it, it, it's really rewarding. So. Uh, how, how many hounds you got around at the moment, mate? I have no idea. <laughs> Too many. No, I, haven't got, I haven't got that many. Yeah. yeah. I probably took about seven of Doon Doon. Five, five or six or something might take the Doon Doon and a couple of pups and stuff. Yeah. yeah I've cut the numbers back a bit. Yeah. Well, you tell us a bit about you. Sorry. You can only do more you got, less work. Like more dogs you got. You can only work. You only got so much work. Yeah. So... If you have a look at a lot of people, how many people have success with their first one, two, three dogs in the trial arena? Yeah. You know, my best three, Zach, Coop and Tess, they're probably my most successful dogs because they got access to a lot of work. Me, you know, and then you go and keep adding to it and you see people that come back, their, their dogs drop off a bit, I, I believe, because you don't... Yeah. And especially with kids now, I've got two kids and one on the way, and there's not, you only can spread yourself out so much. And and um, you know, like we were talking there this morning about like a balance, and I picture it like a triangle. Yeah. And that triangle sit, you know, solid on a foundation. You need every point weighted the same, or you know, within the same. So that's. 33.33%. So if you go in each corner and put your business in one, your dogs in one and your family and friends in another, it's weighted correctly. But as soon as you go and put too much energy in one side, 
and you might put your dogs at 50%, um, your business would be running at 40%. Well, before you know it, you've got 10% sitting in your family and your wife and that, and then you get cracks. So that's where I, I, I'm happy to drop back a few numbers because the kids and um, business and stuff like that, I need to try and keep a balance without my business being affected and my family and stuff like that. And it, it's a juggling act. It's, it's never perfect, but it's definitely something, I don't know how to explain it other than that, but that's why my numbers are sitting where they are because I've got yeah. kids <laughs> and I can't yeah. be there all, all the time with them and right. it's not fair on them. You're too level-headed for this for this industry, mate. Look, are you this level-headed when you've got a beast running towards you? <laughs> I used to thrive on that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's my adrenaline rush. Uh, mate, you got it. You're on, Laura. What were you going to say? I was going to ask. Uh, you got a couple of what a couple of your handy dogs you got there in your camp now, mate? Who, who are a couple of your main dogs? Oh, bosses, you know. Boss is a very honest dog, and um, I've got Shelly, she's an honest dog, and then Zoe's coming through. Pixie, she's my Kelpie. Um, then I've got Scotty coming through, that's another Kelpie. So, yeah, they sort of complete the team for now. Yeah, yeah, getting infiltrated, mate. The, the Kelpie's infiltrating your team a bit there. Yeah, not, it doesn't worry me which way. I just look how they present themselves to their stock and it yeah. was interesting with um the reason I ended up with Kelpies is when a lot of people would ask me why why have I got Kelpies have I tried it? Um sorry, why have I got collies and have I tried a Kelpie? And I'm like, Well, what do I think? I said, like, Well, I can't actually make that comment until I actually get one for myself. So I was yeah, I went right over. So I'd done a bit of homework and seen some videos of some progeny and stuff like that and then I yeah I booked the booked the pup of um Flilly and flew it from WA back here and it was probably the best thousand bucks I ever spent. So, yeah, and what 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 are those differences you're seeing between the Kelpies and the Collies? Um I don't think as far as differences I think it comes down to lines between when you've got collies and kelpies you can get you can get the same within the both. They're just different lines of you'll still have barking collie, you'll still have barking kelpies. Um, I wanted, yeah, with what I wanted with the kelpie was I wanted a lot of a lot of natural grip on their stock, very precise, and and that's exactly what Pixie brought to the table. Is yeah. everything, and and she doesn't bark. She's a silent dog. So that was a bonus and yeah, she she's incredible. She's actually taught me a lot, to be honest, yeah, just how precise she is on her movement and her calming ability and how she can put, how she presents herself to the stock and you won't even know she's there. You can be tail and wieners and she'll just sit and she just she knows her job very well. She's an awesome little girl. Have you got a preferred style or type of dog? I do like a dog that work um, with a natural role. I don't like dogs that sort of got blinkers on and they're running past pressure points all the time. I want them to pull up on a pressure point. So probably 
you know, that medium eye on, you know, to a little bit, bit more eye, not too sticky. Um, yeah, and, and, the, and then when they get to a point, they're very square and hold. I like that holding ability before, you know, that holding ability and then that bite will come later if needed. So they present themselves and give the cow a chance. So, you know, I think that's where, you know, that I just see that's where we should be going in the industry, you know, with um, with working dogs and trying to, you know, better the industry sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, that sort of, yeah. There's a question here from Josh Abel. Um, what trait in a dog has the most effect on a beast in an educational manner, in your opinion? What was that? <laughs> what trait in a dog has the most effect on a beast in an educational manner? Mm. I thought you'd like this one. Yeah, it's pretty in-depth, isn't it? I reckon holding ability to start with. So the best trait, so how I present myself to the stock in the paddock is how I want the dog to present themselves. So first you've got bubble and then you've got hold. You've got bubble, lock, hold, neutral, move in straight direction, I think it is. So I want the dog to be aware of what's, what's going on. And then, you know, block, hold. Yeah, so does that sort of answer it, Josh? I, I uh, think so. I, I think you've answered it, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, so they've just got to present themselves and hold with that natural grip and in in a calm manner. And then yeah. if they need to bite and address the situation or so be it. And some people might like bark instead. And I'm not really for bark, but I can definitely... I can definitely understand why people have bark and I definitely know why I don't want bark is with working in hilly country and timber country to start and cattle up in front of me and stuff. So I just prefer to keep it quiet. And, um, but I can definitely, I've seen a guy that actually never even probably had a dog, a work dog, and he was the one that pointed it out one time when I was in the West and his name was actually Murray. And we were there and my dogs were sort of more bite where the other crew was, the Kelpies were sort of in and barking, nip, nip, bark. And he made a good point where he just said, oh, bugger you, Gabby, you'll get too many vet bills with them, them dogs. I got the same job done, but the barking dogs, with, they were sort of rougher type cattle and a lot of horn. And, yeah, that was it took fresh eyes for me to understand that. Mm -hmm. And he was, not, and, and it complete outsider probably didn't know a lot about dogs whatsoever. And I went, yeah, that's a fair point. It's like, so I can definitely understand why bark is useful. And, and um, that was a Glenn Flory actually, yeah. And he, and he is a smart operator in everything. That guy, like he's a man, if he says something, you you pay attention, you listen, he's a very switched on man, yeah. So, wonderful fellow, actually. Actually, talking about, um, you, you're mentioning, like, flighty stock there. 
Uh, I remember a while ago, you and know, I had a conversation with a bit with flighty stock about you don't mind moving them in the right direction to sell them to then move them back in the right way. Do you want to talk us through that process? Yeah, if, if you run across um, cattle that are quite touchy or something like that, sometimes I'll, you know, I might go go with them. Like, um, yeah, you might go a complete different direction for a little while before you actually turn around and come back the other way. If, if I need to do that to settle cattle, especially clean skins, so, you know, is, we could go one way, of, you know, right up in the hills and, yeah, unless they're right, you'll end up back there. Like it, if you don't get them right before the yard, you will end up back where you started if not blowing. So you sort of go with them and possibly hugging trees nearly on the way staying out of sight and um sean was a bit of a guru at that one my brother he's up up north at christabel and i don't he's probably not using the dogs as much this year he's down on dogs he's lost a lot but what he's done up there and sitting up in the tree with ropes and panels and he'd go out and sit in the tree from nine o'clock to one o'clock just he'll trap cattle in a big round dam and put the dogs out and break them you know they're sort of ghost sort of cattle and he'll just break them in and sit up in the tree and and then pull a rope when when they're right there yeah, i thought that was a fair effort for one o'clock yeah pretty impressive but um yeah he he sort of sean's a guru at that what he does up there it's amazing and i've seen him you know work alongside him doing all the falls and you know we got a lot of cattle out of there and a few other little jobs and and um but yeah, definitely. If you've got to go with them, go with them, and you just got to forget about take your watch off. Time, time's got to. And I've I've started cattle, and and just left them too. You know, if if I've needed to, I'll just walk away. As long as I leave them, how you how you leave them is probably how you'll find them next time. So that's you know working a few bulls and that, and um, Danny Hayes actually taught taught me that. Yeah, we'd start them up. We were at Wave Hill and he'd always take one, one of us up in the chopper to start cattle and show us how he wanted cattle started. And I remember going up with him and we're mustering the river, the Vic River, and we had a few bulls coming out and we started them up and they were laying down and we persevered and persevered and then we just left the bull. We got a win, got him moving off and we left him. because And Dan's like, we won't get him back to the yard, but we'll educate him while we're going. Because next time he might be there and we'll pick him up and it'll be a lot easier. He'll come in with some cows. So, some, you know, if you run out of time and that, I've done that a few times, you know, just leave a mob. If I can't, if I know I'm not going to get them back, just spend the time time with them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's mad. I know we touch base. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't do a lot these days, but Sean's. He's he's the one that talked to about that stuff. He's yeah, I'll leave that one for him. <laughs> uh, nah, very cool, mate. And you mentioned a few dogs there earlier. Do you believe there's a um, or do you what would some of your most influential dogs be to get you to where you are today? Oh, Zach was a good dog. Zach and Coop and Tess, they are sort of my foundation line, and and um, yeah, just sort of work with what I've got. I don't like chopping and changing a lot. Um, you see that probably a lot in the industry now. 
um, people chop and change and you see something else on Facebook and they've got to have this dog and a UK dog and and really they probably just get, you know, people can get confused a lot um, with social media and dog movers and everything. You know, sometimes I wonder if we've got too, too much access to everything when some, you know, we've probably got it right there at home. We just got to put the time into it and bring it through. Um, so that's where with Zach and that, I just, you know, I was content with them and I was happy and I was work with within that line. And then I've just started to add a few outcrosses here and there, fresh blood and stuff and trying try a few things and some don't work and some do. And, and um, yeah. So question, have you used any of the UK stuff in your lines? I've got one. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I bred to one dog, Reese. That was years ago. And Annie was an honest little dog. Yeah. And uh, very, you know, probably more suited for trialling and that, but still in the paddock, she was, she was good. Um, she was actually, I got rid of Annie. She was sort of hitting that age bracket and someone wanted to get started. So I, I let it, you know, moved her on sort of thing to get someone else started in the dogs. And um, and then I've got some moss, a moss pup there now. So I'll just see how they go, how they sort of go. I, I don't know a lot about them. I've done a, a lot of looking and watching and stuff like that. And yeah. With, when you're looking, oh, you're right, Laura, go. That's all right. I don't want to piss anyone off by asking this question, but. Oh, you're right. The UK lines to me is more sheep orientated. Why are you cattle guys going to them when they're not working their dogs with cattle? What What is making you guys go to those lines? The reason I went, I, I'm not going to talk on it behalf of other people. The yep. reason I went to Moss is because I've seen a few pups and a, video, a few videos on how he presented himself on stock on a cow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Private messages. Yeah. Um, he worked very similar to Zach in certain ways. His first movement in, out, and down, very yeah, just out the side. I do see a lot of UK dogs sort of driving, and you know, you start a pup and they sort of cut them out. And there's things traits I'm very cautious of. I, you know, and I'm just. I, I've got to be careful what I say. No, <laughs> but, no, that, that's fair. Yeah. That's why I sort of, but we I wasn't sure whether to ask or not, but, I yeah. I dog the other day at home and I was having trouble, you know, with some cows or not so much trouble, just it's all pulled country and just to get around a few and I had a young fella there and he had a UK sort of bred dog and that dog just took him up the road and just kept him going. Yeah. And it's only a young dog. You know, so as far as training side of things, that dog was working on genetics straight away and yeah. it just took them and I, I couldn't get around the cattle. Yeah. I had a lot of trouble and I had to, I had to get him to get his dog away and he, he drove him away from what we were doing. Um, and that dog was only 12 months sort of thing. So to me, that was genetics. Yeah. And and um, so I'm very, you know, reason I sort of selected Moss was just, Pacific movements and stuff, and 
and to compliment Zach so I can bring Zach Seaman back in because I need an outcross. See, the, the reason with um, line breeding and stuff, you can sort of lose them in the mines. You might have workability, but you can lose that mine. And mm -hmm. I want good-minded dogs. A lot of people are doing schools and stuff, and um, those dogs got to be able to handle a little bit of training and stuff. That everyone wants to train a dog, and so I've added Moss in to try and add a better mind frame as in as well. And his DNA was what I wanted as well. So that suits. That was another tick in the box, and and then I'll just go through and see how they go. But I do like. I can see a difference. But I do like them. And one thing with Annie, you know, she was probably the first one to come back to me. If if I had cattle guy, she'd sort of come looking for me a bit. That was they like she wanted to be told what to do. Yeah. Um, that concerned me a lot with the UKs. Sort of they like to be controlled. Um where the say Kelpie people, you know, they probably you see a lot of people up north with Kelpies or big cruiser Kelpie dogs and they work more on the natural side of things and positioning themselves to suit the dogs where I see people probably with UK bred dogs or trolling side of things, they probably dictate on what they want to do more so, you know, maybe if that makes sense without, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but set and forget, like, yeah, those natural dogs are just out there and, there is one guy with collie dogs that he, um, Tim Flynn, he works very natural. He's one of the, you know, for, I don't know if he's got a Kelpie, but for collie dogs, he's just, he's one of the best stockmen's I've seen as far as big mobs, settling stock, patients, horses, dogs, cattle. And, um, yeah, he's he's um, definitely up there, yeah. And he's he's up there. You've mentioned a, a, a whole heap of different names today or to, this evening in at Stockwork. Do you believe a lot of that comes natural or do you believe you can be taught a lot as well, coming from someone that grew up in town yourself? Oh, depending on your attitude, number one. Fantastic. You know, yeah. If you want to do it, there's a difference in wanting and willing. And Tim, was a, we've had this conversation, Tim, Tim and I, um, a lot of people want to do stuff, but are they willing to do it? Yeah. And I want a dog that's willing. So when I when I say that, a dog that sits in the back of the cage and they want to come forward and they keep sitting at the back of the cage and you're like, come on, mate, come forward, I'll give you a pat. They want to come. Well, I want the dog that's willing, that's got their head against the mesh, the ear out the side, like give me a scratch. And those dogs that sit at the back the day, you know, hop on the motorbike, I probably do two circles around the bike. I want to hop up. I want to hop up. You know, I want the dog that's hopping up nearly knocking you off. Yeah. So that's, willing, that's willingness. Yeah. And that'll come through later on in work, the dogs that will let you down. You know, the willing ones that probably be there at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, so anyway, that's... That's something I work on. Tim and I had a great conversation about. It. He's the one that told me, mate, told him, and yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. So, so what are you looking for? You mentioned line breeding a couple of times. Yeah. Are you 
do you like the line breeding? Is that what you follow? Or are you just looking for two similar dogs? What are you thinking about when you're putting, like joining a bitch and a dog? I think line breeding definitely has a place. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I think you've got to know when to get out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you've got to, you know, try things and... Um, Yeah, you, you, you've got to try a few things here and there, and, but definitely knowing when you to get out and stuff and keeping that mind right. That's one of the things I'll probably, you see with people at Lime Breed, um, you might have all the workability, but their minds aren't quite right. That'll be one of the first traits you probably lose. Yeah. And, and, and that's a big thing with kids and stuff like that. Um, you, there's no place, that's, you know, there's no place for it for bad minds, dogs that bite and stuff, I just, I won't have it. Um, I won't have it. Sort of now I've got kids and stuff like that. I've got a few little do's and don'ts and, and, um, and being, out, you know, with these auctions and stuff like that, selling dogs on. So, you know, we've just got to be mindful that they've got to go to the next person. And they've got to be able to settle in. So, you know, that's another reason with, say, I bring a moss in to try and keep a cool mine because they'll, um, no different to buying trade cattle and stuff, knowing what, what your clients, what, you know, what they're buying off you because you want them to come back. Yeah. You know? And um, you they pay the money. You, you definitely, they've got to get something out of it too. They've got to go and do a job. Yeah. So, yeah, they can't have trouble trying to catch a dog and that. So definitely can line breed. But yeah, make sure you sort of know when to get in and get out and um, and do a bit of homework and talk to someone who probably knows a lot more about it. So. Yeah. And on that, Will Hogan actually asked, just as we started talking about, how do you determine when you need to bring in an outcross? But you've already answered that, so... <clears throat> Well, I've bred dogs before and you think, yep, that's going to work. And yeah, and it just wasn't what I was after. And yeah, you know, you only fail if you don't try. So don't be yeah. scared. You know, a lot of people go, oh, that didn't work. And it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's how you, you know, how you move on from that. Yeah. That's what really matters. So Absolutely. I don't lose sleep over that. You, you just, and a lot of people will say, don't do this, don't do that. <laughs> Just, you know, have a crack. Just, yeah, you don't let someone ruin your dreams. Yeah, it could work. If it doesn't, it's fine. You, you, learn, you learn something out of it and you, you, you store it all up in your brain and, like, you know, like pedig like dogs and what I've got stored away with pedigrees and stuff and DNA and you can look at a pedigree and try and put it together and if if you can't work it out, you ring Isaac Cox and he'll tell you. But while we're talking about breeding here, um, cartoon genetics, what is it about breeding in general that does it, whether it's cattle and dogs, what, what is it that that works for you? Obviously, you've got a passion for it. Well, the, re the reason cartoon genetics come up because we had, you know, with the cattle and that, trying to come up with something on my shirt, you know, <laughs> and I was like, that's a lot of right. <laughs> And that's what it's like. I was just going cartoon genetics, and you know, even got cartoon chooks. <laughs> 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 got, got a rooster for sale too, by the way. 
<laughs> Just keep that one a plug. Charlotte Shelley's cock on national bloody Q and A. So, what what is it about breeding, mate? That does it. What what's what what makes you tick? What is it? Well, I think breeding for for starters, it's no different to a tradesman building a house. You know what what sort of tools do you have? The you best want, ones. You want the best tools. Milwaukee, you know. Yeah. And why not have the best? Yeah. Makes your job a lot easier. And um, if you if you're into horses, right? You know, nothing like riding a nice horse. Yeah. And if you're sort of working with genetics, um, you're already it, a step in front in some ways. Well, you breed consistency, like mm. consistency a lot, and and when you look into genetics, you sort of can gauge on what you possibly might be going to get. And you're selling cattle, you know. I just love the industry side of things. Like dogs are part of the industry, you know. I just I love the industry of what we we have, and yeah, we've got Sussex, you know. And the reason I got them is for the kids. Yeah. They, they give us eggs. They go over. It's responsibility. Yeah. Tyler's four and Sydney's two, and they're bringing eggs in, and you'd be surprised how many they're broken, but they go. <laughs> They go and get the eggs, and I've got really nice tooks there. And then we go and put them in the double show, and it it teach them teaches them responsibility. It teaches them to look after their animals, how to present them, and stuff like that. And you know they won't know any different. Like you just plant a seed early. They've got responsibility. They've got to feed them. They've got to water them. Mm. The dogs knock them over a bit. Like you got to watch. You know pups jumping up and get scratchy and um show cattle and that they're, they're not at the right age but i'll tell you what the chooks are terrific but the rooster gives shoal have a bit of a rest vicious <laughs> we had the yeah that's not the one i'm selling but... <laughs> <laughs> i was about to ask <laughs> i was about to ask is that why he's for sale <laughs> He's all right with kids above ten year old. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's that's genetics, sort of. Yeah. And you, you pro, we we're providing product, you know, and that we're feeding people and meat on tables and and what more do you want in life? Like, you know, I reckon that's really nice. Someone comes around to home and oh, I'll, I'll never let anyone bring food to my house. There's always a I'll always feed people here, you know. I reckon that's a privilege to be able to give someone a feed and stuff like that, and and that's why I love the dogs and the horses and the cattle, you know, and and um what we do. So, do you have like a long term plan with it all or anything? Long term plan <laughs> with your genetics. I've always got things, you know. That I want to do definitely. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you tonight. No, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I go to the pub and tell people what you're doing. You go, <laughs> well, on that note, there's a question here from Pat Dwyer. It says, "Hey, Gavin, could you give us some insight into your pup starting process for cattle work?" Pup starting, so not pup selection. We go pup starting. So what I'd probably do. I start them at 12 weeks old 
So I used to start them as young as I could and it doesn't. I, I, I find 12 weeks is a nice age. They're getting a bit more leg and I'll get a rag on a stick and I'll, um, I'll start them on that so I get them sort of clicked on with that, you know, and then steady. Yeah. And then I'll hold it and get it. And um, you can actually start sort of picking your pups to how they break out and they hold that rag. And I'll start, that's, that's the first thing I'll do for selection. And, um, and then I'll go down to the sheep and I'll put them down onto the sheep. I've probably only got three or four. I don't swap over sheep or anything. I've just got them sheep. And if they last five years, they last five years. It, I don't need fresh sheep. It doesn't phase me one bit. And um, what I'd probably do is put them down. Um, once they, you know, hook on, I, um, I like me dogs to get in tune with me. So say it's called a training pen, I'd probably call it a starting pen mm -hmm. straight away. A lot of people, you know, it's like, just go and train a dog. A lot of people will go down to train a dog. Those pups don't need training at that age. They just need guiding. We want to, I want to see what purpose they have. I want to see their makeup. I want to see the genetics come out. And then I start weighing up exactly if it's going to stay in my program or not. So the training side of things doesn't get included for a little while because I don't need to be training certain things out when I can select a lot of stuff. Um, so when the pup sort of really starts to go, I'll probably I'll back myself up to the pennant and I'll get the dog to start rating their stock. So if I move two steps, I want my dog to move two steps. If I stop, I like them to stop. If I've got a really calm dog, I'll try and get get them to um, pick their energy up a bit. If I've got a dog that's a little bit more gully, I will sit there and work it until they start to yawn and possibly even sit on the ground. And a lot of people would argue the point with that one and, and go, oh, you've got to get a pup out straight away. And I've had people tell me, you're working them too long. The reason I will work, challenge a pup and a dog and I will work them further is because if I'm going, I treat it to how I pick cattle up on a dam or a walk, wherever it is in the paddock. If I walk up, I don't want dogs going fast. They've got to be able to present themselves and hold stock. And um, so I don't want a dog going, lunging round, round, over, over, running past pressure points faster, hard sits, stuff like that. I don't want any of that for a long, long time. I want balance, I want hold, and I want them to approach their stock in a calm way. And that's through feet movement. If I move, they move. If that makes sense. If I yep. move them, they, they give ground. And then I get them to balance a lot of, a lot of, it's amazing how many dogs don't balance correctly. I reckon um, balance is a big thing for me. Balance. Um, yeah, and then I'll, I'll work on a sit, like a dry sit up, up at the house or something. And depending on what sort of nature dog, how I go about sitting a dog, like if they're 
like quite bold sort of dog, I might put them on the ground if they're a timid sort of dog, or not. I might sit them on their um, on their tar sort of thing. And how you pat a dog, like if they're timid, I'll pat them underneath. If they're dominant, I'll pat them over the top of their eyes a bit more so. Um, and when I go down and approach that sit on later on 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 the sheet, instead of saying like I'll just go about what I do and I still probably haven't got a round or an over or nothing, um, I'll sit the dog and then when I engage the dog out of the sit, I'll just go and that lifts them up out of the sit and your dog's got natural feel and that natural grip where I see a lot of pups get pushed around or younger dogs round, 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 over, 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 getting lunge. And if I find if I teach that dog to go round to start with, they take that cue, but they run past pressure points and they actually, you know, I don't feel they're properly connected. So I teach that dog to come out of the sit to be engaged with their stock. Like it, and that just lifts them straight out of the sit and they'll be engaged. And then I might ask them for a round. So they're always engaged. I don't want to be pushing them out sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't really do a lot of training on the sheep. And then I just grow them up put them on, on cattle later on and and um, I think it's the little things too with pups like taking them on the bike and getting them jump on the bike and making sure like even the side besides and jump them in the back, don't jump them through the front because they, they learn to jump through on the seat and into the back and they take your kids out, you know, little things like that and tying them up in the back of those buggies don't tie them up so their feet sit on the side. You teach your dogs to put their feet on the side. You'll end up losing one or their collar comes undone. They lean on the collar. Always tie them in so their feet can't. So when they get older and they're not tied in, they're not standing up on the side. You know, they're little things you learn from mistakes that I've probably made. And you see a dog hanging out the side and they're balancing. It's probably because I've tied them too close to the side as a pup. And they, they learn to balance on it, so don't don't allow them to do that. So um, they're just little things that I just look at. And, and um, when I start them on stock, I don't, I won't sort of use fresh wieners so much anymore um, with pups. I used to be just whatever, what you know, just throw them out. But I find pups can mess up your, your wieners. Like unless your cattle are forgiving and know what you want, don't confuse them. Mm -hmm. When you've got a young dog that possibly might know what they're doing, um, you can put them out. If your cattle are forgiving and they know what the routine is, your training mob, they know how to pick up and draw to you, that, you know, that's what you want in case they've got mistakes, make mistakes. But you put them on fresh wieners that don't know nothing, you can create a lot of fear within those cattle too. So I do, I do, that's something that I've been looking at lately is how, you know, how my wieners are sort of going, where they're sitting and yeah, but with the probably pup selection, I'll go into that. How I yeah, I was, I was going to ask, you probably touched on a bit of it, but how, yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about your pup selection? Um. Does that answer our mate's question enough with how I start a pup possibly? I think so. Probably so, yes, mate. Right, yeah. One thing I do look for in a pup 
at 10, 10 to 12 months of age, I, I run them down to the yard, it's about a K, and there's a trough behind the house. At some stage, then pups, I'll, let, I'll give them the opportunity when I'm running them, they have to go and pick up cattle at some stage if I'm running the dogs past cattle. If they're 50 metres or 20 metres, those pups at 10, 10, 12 months of age, that's when that's when I'll start introducing them to livestock. If they don't leave, even if I let them out at the kennels at Doon Doon and there's cattle at the back, if they don't leave me at some stage and their instinct doesn't override me, I'll allow it. If I don't go calling them back, I'll get rid of the dog because of it. Yeah. That's one thing I want to see them that instinct overdrive, override me by running after the motorbike and veer off and go and pick up the cattle. And yeah. the mom up done it the other day. And I was like, that's good. She's done it three times. And once I start seeing cattle, I'll pull up and I start putting them on the bike so they don't, and then I'll go and introduce them myself. And the reason I do that is because I want finding ability. It's probably something a lot of people don't look for anymore and it's probably getting harder to find as dogs that use their nose and you watch them and stuff and I, I want dogs to think to go out on their own accord. If that they keep tracking me, I guarantee when something's not right, they'll come and find me all the time. I want them to go out and, and that's the best thing to see how they present and go around and hold. You know, you see them in the natural thing. So that's something I do I do like and I do allow them to do it. You know, if I see a mob of steers and they're all broke at doing, doing, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. So, but if they're any younger, like six or eight months, and I know they're not ready for it, I'll always pull up, put them on the back of the bike. If I'm running them, I don't, you know, I will look after them in that way. Yeah. I, but yeah, I have got rid, rid of one dog because he wouldn't leave me. He was too, too glued onto me and he would have made the best trial dog going. But just as far as my criteria, for what we do and it just wasn't going to fit yeah yeah and, and um, you go yeah the pup selection is you know you get a lot of people ring up and ask for a pup and they go have you got a pup for sale and a lot of people probably don't even know what they're after in a pup and if i was looking for a pup i would go and um actually go and see the parents work 12 months or you know two years beforehand but i'd also watch how the people work their livestock themselves that's to see what sort of operation they're running i want to see how how their dogs are presented to their stock and how the cattle present to their to the dog and how that person what sort of operation is he probably running how does he work his livestock what sort of country does he work in you know, I, I sort of weigh up that sort of thing as well. Because um, you can just buy a pup anywhere off the internet now and Facebook and dog movers and you just get them sent up and, you know, so it's hard with, you know, overseas, obviously, it's a bit harder. But um, they're the things that I'd probably look at now if I was, yeah, and on from that, Tracy Huxwell from the UK, um, she's asked, what is a move when you start them at 12 weeks? That, sorry, I'll start again. At 12 weeks when you um, first put them on stock, 
is there ever something when you first just go, that pup isn't for me, or do you give them a few looks and then decide sort of whether you go on with them or not? So what, what, do, I, what do I look for when I'm, like, choosing a pup at 12 weeks? Yeah, that and more so like when you first put them on, do you ever think this pup isn't going to suit me and move it on soon after or do you let them grow out a bit and give them a few more goes before you decide that? Well, you can't keep them all, number one. Yeah. And you can have ability unless you've got attitude to take to the field, you've got nothing. Yeah. So dude also, it's like playing football. See a lot of talented football people with the wrong attitude on the field. Can't yeah. win. So something to look at. If I was going to get rid of a dog, I'd go and put it in a cage away from the other dogs. And and then if you go and get that dog, you obviously need it for a job or whatever. Just and also see what what the um how the other crew of dogs react. Usually if I got rid of a dog is sometimes because of camp members as well. Yeah. Um, I got rid of one of my best dogs I ever owned, Belle, because of her camp members. She was yeah. picking fights with Tess and, and that was, um, yeah, she she had to go because she was throwing the camp out. Yeah. So that's, and that, you know, oh, mate, the daughter, he's happy and you just move on like, you can't sometimes you've got to leave emotions out of it to make decisions to yeah. make you know when emotions attack attach you can you know it can cloud your decisions a bit so you got to cut your emotions sort of thing and i was like right now you've got to go you fight and test and and I, i'd go and put a dog away over in another cage and just see how the crew interacts and what dogs throwing out the dogs or you know if i feel something's not right yeah. Um, just in case you make the wrong decision, you know, I have made the wrong decision before, and that's why I, cho I choose to put them in another cage away, or I leave them in town with Aaron, and I'll go to Doon Doon. Um, one of the f things I do like with a pup is that, yeah, to answer that lady's question, I'm just trying to think of it, but, um, I just want attitude, it's got to be right, and then the workability and how they present to the, you know, to the sheep there. And I, sometimes I'll keep the litter to 12 weeks and then start them. Yeah. So, and, but I'll watch them as little pups. So if I hear one squeaking too much, I can't have a look which one it is. <laughs> you know, I'll put them on the ground and just take note which, which, Pup is the first one mum picks up and stuff like that. She'll probably pick the most dominant dominant sort of pup up and put back in the cage and stuff, you know, that natural sort of stuff. I'll just take note. Yeah. Yeah. What about evaluating your team? How, how often would you evaluate your own team? Do an audit. Yeah, do an audit, basically. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I think we've got to do an audit on ourselves, too. Yeah. You know, we stand and that's why I say getting fresh eyes in over what you do and yeah, keep you honest. But um How probably, often would you do that? Probably every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every yeah. day. I yeah. Watch everything. And yeah. I remember everything from a pup. 
how they start because it usually comes out at the end. I don't, you know, I don't make excuses for, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time we can go, oh, you know, but it done this and you, it's like probably just making an excuse. It's probably, you know, what it is is what it is. You either want it or you don't and you just yeah. want what you want, yeah. A, you're right, Laura. I was just gonna say you go, but that's all right. You go. Yeah, so you've got some time to talk us through your your criteria there, mate, and how you go about evaluating. I know it's uh, pretty in depth little system you got there. Well, I it's probably something that try and help people, like younger people and people getting started in dogs, with um, going to and from. You know, that's a, and I sort of, you know, it was a full selection thing is setting, you know, bar from one to 10 and you got your mode at five. So one being a soft dog with a lot of eye and herd to 10 being possibly a very tough, you know, very tough dog. And when you want to breed, a lot of people say, oh, we want something really tough, but if you go to 10, you'll, you'd lose a lot from the bottom end. But five is, five is in the middle. That's your mode. So what I would do is, all right, I want strength. I'll go between five and 10, maybe seven. And you just move your, your bar over and then you select a dog in, in between so you still have your herding ability and stuff like that. And by going from one end to the other end, you can lose a lot of consistency in the dog and, Everyone knows how hard it is to breed consistent litters. You know, you get six pups, they're not all the same, they don't all turn out. So it's, it's a hard job to get consistency, let alone going from one end to the other. So that's something I just sort of, you know, I, I have to put it on paper, but if you keep just shifting that bar and yeah, so does that make sense then? Yeah. But if anyone's confused with that, just ring me and, you know, I'm quite happy to go through <laughs> yeah it's, yeah so there's a bit more to it but i'll just leave it there to give you some idea yeah yeah um there's been a few questions come through so i'll just ask a couple of them here um nikki west has actually asked do you communal feed or feed them individually and why so i feed them individually and um possibly because i've got i'm at doon doon and i'm at home I've got to drive an hour each way. So I choose to, I don't have the time to sit there really, to be honest, time, very time poor. Yeah. If you can do it, I'd, I'd do it. Yeah. I reckon it, it stops the bickering and yeah, definitely I'd, I'd go that way if I could. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's just the time factor for me. It just driving, driving in and out of doing, doing and yeah, I've got to, fair bit going on and it's just feed the biscuits and sort of go and then I've got to come to town and I've got to sort some stuff in here, dogs in here out or whatever it might be. So yeah, if that answers it for you, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, ben Goulds asked, are there any current influential Australian sire dogs that you like? Was that Ben, ben Girl? Um, there is a dog called Jake. That's breeding on really well. 
He's a crossbred. Probably a bit of heel. <laughs> no, no, there definitely is. There is dogs breeding on, and and obviously a lot of people know about Woodford Jack, and and um he's doing doing a wonderful job, you know, with what I've seen up in Queensland for the cattle side of things, and and there's other dogs like Rip and. You know, every 10 years you sort of get two or three dogs that really impact, you know, they'll be at their later years that'll come through and they're nearly gone and everyone wakes up and starts seeing progeny. But I'd work on three every 10 years, sort yeah. of come through and then they, be, there's always younger dogs coming through. They just haven't proven themselves. But, yeah, I'd, Jack's definitely doing a good job. I've got pups there by Jack at the moment and... And I'm um, looking forward to starting those and see if I can get something to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Cool, mate. We mentioned uh, trialling uh, a little bit earlier. How long have you been trialling? I'd say it started possibly, I don't know, 13 or 15 years ago, possibly, yeah. I couldn't really. I'd have to ring up Elizabeth Hughes and ask her. She'll know. <laughs> What, what was the driver behind that, behind starting trolling? Uh, Warren Baton. Well, Sean started trolling first, to be honest. Yeah, he had a few goes and then, then um, yeah, I think I might have been mining or something then and then I come home and, yeah, I got Zach and Tess and went to Bell. Bell was my first trial. Yeah. So, and um, never had sides, never had a sit, nothing. I just thought I'd turn up and have a go and, yeah, just – just went from there so it's not um i really enjoyed it it's, you know the people and that there's you know that's probably more where i'm at now if i go to a troll is just to catch up with people yeah like, and the level of trolling sort of stepped up quite a bit if you want to be in a final you, you know you've got to really get on to your dogs and have them pretty pretty precise with everything and that's probably maybe not my area um, you know, I'd, I'd probably choose not to. I don't want the dogs on on a string sort of thing. It's sort of something I lean away against for now. So, yeah, I just want them working, working more naturally and just what they do. And yeah, There's have you tried any sheepdog trialing at all? Barely work sheep, mate. Yeah. I've only ever seen probably one when we're at yeah. Temple. It's something I actually want to go and muster wild goats, to be honest. That's, yeah. yeah. I actually were talking, Aaron and I were talking, you know, that's something that's on the cards, you know, in the next 12 months or two years, we'll see how we go. But I spoke to a really good friend and to tee up, at, to go and work in the sheds and stuff with the, yeah, just something different. Because I, yeah. I went over to New Zealand looked at dogs over there and that was pretty cool with what they do i thought that was great and then just a bit of a challenge to go down and have a look there that run on, you know get them run on the backs and mm, i just like the cattle yeah <laughs> do you have a favorite trial or one you've done good at consistently i don't do that well <laughs> <laughs> Do that very consistently, not <laughs> favorite trial. Not really. Yeah. 
they're all got three head usually and an obstacle and yeah and people and just enjoy it for what it is yeah um you know there's possibly some better ones to start younger dogs if you you know to create a good experience um you know, Rothman Springs is always on us and I think the Hinia, you know, it's a bigger course, Dave Steele and that. They do a tr tremendous job out there, Dave, and that. And he's actually one fella's doing a really good job on the breeding program. You know, he knows what he's doing and putting, you know, got a lot of respect with people that do have a criteria and um, trying to breed a line of dogs. Yeah, yeah, he's doing a good job. But other than that, they're all the same, really. Yeah. And on that, for someone that doesn't do real good, have you got a special moment or an achievement that is memorable? Oh, I've got a few, but yeah. one that stands out. I'm marrying my wife and two kids. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm not yeah. in it. Yeah, I don't. I've won a couple of things, but you know, yeah, I've ordered a few, but yeah, I'd have to, yeah. Not too worried about it. Is Aaron is Aaron standing on the other side of the table there, just looking at you, going, "Right answer." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, oh, Tess done alright, and Zach done well in certain ways, and yeah, but I they're just sort of ribbons and stuff. I'd, yeah, yeah, I find you know my biggest achievements more when someone rung me the other day to tell me the cattle were presented well yeah that's that's the blue ribbon in my eyes yeah you know? that's that's you know when i can go and get a mob of cattle in and you get a phone call so someone can't do it and you can go and get them give them a hand and put them in so that's why i don't really want to go there with ribbons and stuff and you know you, a lot of people get sort of stuck on that and even selecting dogs in the UK and why they select a dog and usually they won this supreme and that supreme and at the end of the day you can't bring the trainer over with them so you, you don't know really what you're getting that's how I look at it yeah so I don't get caught up in it and that's not being nasty to anyone like, yeah 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 I see it yeah yeah that's fair enough um question here from Rick Freeman would you like to see dogs working in pairs at trials as a special skill or trial? Um, he's heard it used to happen many years ago. Can you repeat that? That didn't come through real clear. That's all right. Um, Rick asked, would you like to see dogs working in pairs at trials um, as like a special skill or class? Um, he's heard this used to happen many years ago. Oh, like working two dogs at once or something? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's room for growth in all, all different things. Great answer. I did, um, went to America and spent three days at the Steamboat Springs looking at the championships and I've seen a lot of different things and, um, yeah, they can be changed definitely yeah. with what we're doing up here and they're doing a terrific job up here. I'm not going to mock them on that or anything like that but, yeah. um, I, I do believe there is a calling to start looking at different things and change in a positive way um and some of these trollers that are getting around such good dog handlers probably want to be challenged more and probably um what i notice 
I'd probably prefer a bit more stockmanship added into trialing because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we scan on a peg and, you know, there's two types of ways pressure can be released. It's either the stock leaves us or we leave the stock. When you're stuck on a peg, there's not a lot of breathing space for cattle. Um, and what I've seen in America was quite interesting where they draft one out. You know, they might be on a horse and stuff like that. That, that you know, putting them through pens without gates and, yeah, just stuff like that. I, I, yeah, I definitely think there's room for growth, yeah. But uh, what it's, you know, it's working for these guys at the moment and I don't doubt there'll be change down the track, but, you know, that takes time and committees to come together and stuff and and people to put their heads together and work at the work, you know, work together to do it. So, yeah. Mate, for someone as well-travelled as yourself and, and being a contractor, seeing different stock, is there... Is there any time here in, in Australia where you just look at the way people handle their stock and just like, wow, like we, we can do this better? Say that again. You, you're pretty well travelled, right, overseas yeah. and contracting, seeing different stock and different trials and whatnot. Do, do you ever look at the way we handle – well, as a gen, as a gen, just a general question, people handle stock over in Australia and go, wow, we, we can do things better? We're stuck I think, in. I think, I think the stockmanship in Australia is probably, you know, there's some really good stockmen around. Yeah. Like the, the beauty with the stockmen in Australia, we if you want to go to the territory or north, you can work big mobs. Yeah. And with what I've seen in America, um, definitely good stockmen, very good horsemen. I think their horsemanship's amazing. Yeah. Hoping and stuff and doctoring the. You know, yeah, I think they're terrific with the dog side of things. I do think they're very controlling sort of people with yeah. their dogs, like lay down, walk up, lay down, bite, sort of, you know, everything's controlled. Where you sort of work in big mobs over here, you, you let your dogs work probably a bit more natural. Yeah, and, um, but I... I can't really talk with New Zealand because it's just sheep. I don't know enough to comment with that, that side of things, but no. we've probably got some of the best stockmen in the world, to be honest, with what I've seen. You know, and you don't get clean skin bulls to set anywhere. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot up north and stuff. And these fellas have been putting them in the yards for years and years and doing it without dogs. So I think we're pretty advanced, to be honest. There's a look, yeah. In, in, oh. Put it this way, do you think that there might be an art that we're losing? Helicopter stuff, um, you know, there's probably more of that. It's a lot quicker, less staff. So, and also, you know, mum and dad probably encouraging kids to go and do trades. Yeah. Um, and education, a lot of people probably left at 14 or 15 and went to a cattle station and that's all they knew. And they're probably still on the cattle station as a greater driver now. So, um, yeah, possibly, yeah. It's definitely with the horse side of things and because it's all sort of connected, you know, how I work at Marble, sort of how I can, how I work horses similar as well, like yearlings and stuff. It's all the same and 
yeah, I do think we possibly could be losing a bit of it. Yeah, but there is one thing we didn't have years ago is the education we do now too. Yeah. So you do have to move on with the times and um, you do have to, you know, you've you got to move on with the times. You, you can't live, you know, 20 years ago. You, you've got to keep moving forward. Like if the industry likes to look at the Angus cattle now, you know, flatbacks, is if you're in my area, where you, if you're not running flatback sort of cattle, where you're sort of getting left behind, um, if that makes sense. So the education we have, we've got a lot of people doing schools and stuff as well. And I think there's a lot of young people with the really good attitudes that they want to learn, you know, or willing to learn, not just wanting, they're willing. Cause I've got a good mate, Jamie Starrick, and he, he's doing a tremendous job with his, you know, schools and that. I couldn't tell you how many he's done. I've went and done one and, like I started with Jamie and he, he he's um would have put a lot of people through. You know, Paul Rowe, um, Stevie Elliott, Stan Hughes, he's he's a guy that sits under the radar, he's he's a clever man. Um so I think the education side of thing, it's it's out there where we probably never had that years ago. You know, you you had to learn on the job. So yeah. you can so if you want to go and learn, you can go and pay the money, school yourself up. I'd, I'd definitely lean towards work, learning how to work livestock first before a dog. That would that'd be number one. Go yeah. and, and then add the dog into it because it's very confusing for someone that's working a dog and doesn't understand their stock on how they move and stuff. So just, yeah, that's the biggest thing, yeah. What about what advice would you give to any young fellas out there that wanted to have a crack in the livestock industry? How how about how would they go about getting a start? Just having the right attitude and making the making those phone calls to Pacific people they need to, and and they'll direct you wherever they need to go. Create mentors, so watch people. And um, get a couple of mentors and to help you through. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. And um, like I just said, just with um, get to know your livestock and then add the dog into it and and then and enjoy it. So. And you mentioned a few people tonight. Is there anyone? Um, you'd suggest us really sitting down and having a chat with on Dog Talk? I guess Wally McDonald would be probably a good start. Mm -hmm. mm. He's Beautiful. Just, he's just an all-round sort of cowboy sort of guy. And <laughs> um, Clinton Hall would be interesting. Yeah. Yep. He'd have plenty to say, Clinton. Yes. You wouldn't get a word in with him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Goodbye. I reckon that Tom Shepherd, because I know, like he was in the territory, he he had dogs and stuff, but he, you know, he'd be a very interesting sort of 
Yeah, he'd be a pretty good one too. So. Yeah. Cool. Beautiful. Mate, that, that time of the night, was there a question that stood out to you tonight and they will win a bag of enduro punji food for working dogs with a real kangaroo meat? Mate, I've got no idea. You pick one out. Was there, was it, don't worry yeah, about names, but. One of the girls, I think. Yeah. Uh, that would have been Nikki West. She's the only one in Australia, so that that's Nikki. Well, I've got Nikki's details, so all good there. Um, and <laughs> Congratulations, Nikki. Got a bag of enduro coming your way. And Gav, thanks for being on tonight. Also a bag of enduro coming your way as well, mate. You can keep it, buddy. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what it's about. Well, I don't send it up. We will, we will. We will, don't worry. Um. Thank you for being so honest tonight and letting us in to like inside of you and your opinions. Um, in the depth. Last, what was that? In the depth that you go into yeah. as well, mate. I, I appreciate our chats all the time. Yeah. Like, it's really getting the depth to explain. Foreign questions. Okay. <laughs> um, one last question. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? I'd probably go to horses because I know Shiloh likes unicorns. <laughs> if she was awake at the moment, she'd have to go that way. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> Beautiful. Going to go with the unicorns. Okay. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. Thanks again. Once again, thanks for your time and all our viewers out there. Um, thanks for all tuning in tonight. And please remember, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thanks. Thank you. I really appreciate it, eh? Yeah, right. thank you for coming on. We appreciate your time, so it's been good. You know what? Thanks, mate. See you, bud.